Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about Hope, including our worship opportunities, visit HopeChurchMemphis.com. Today's message comes from Senior Associate Pastor Eli Morris. Welcome to Hope Today. Those of you who are in person and those of you who are online with us, allow me for just a moment to speak specifically to those in the room today, Uh, because I have a question for you. Why on earth would several hundred very busy people come to a building in Cordova on a Saturday night or Sunday morning or Sunday night to sit in a room and sing songs and listen to somebody talk? I mean, for real. Where else in your life do you do anything like this? Where, Where else do you stand next to a stranger and sing with them? I'm serious, except maybe at a ball game during the national anthem. Where, where, where else do you go to listen to someone give a speech? Now, if you're a student, you gotta go. But where else do you go to listen to a speech? When do you ever say, hey, there's a great speech tonight that I want to drive across town to and hear? I, I, I mean, today, we're gonna take a look at the primary reason we gather in this room every week. We're going to take a look at Jesus Christ. If we're calling ourselves Christians, we are calling ourselves Christ ones. You know, I find myself in circles more and more where, where someone is Jewish, someone is Muslim, uh, two or three people are spiritual, somebody's agnostic. And if you're not seeing much of it, be patient. It's gonna happen to you too. In fact, you're probably just missing it. That's, that's one thing I loved about the public school that our kids went to. They, they had to learn to live and love in a context that was beautifully diverse in so many different ways. But I'm finding myself more and more in this Jewish, Muslim, spiritual, agnostic circle of people. And I'm happy to be respectful of what people believe, but when they ask me to reflect, I always start by saying this. Well, I'm a Jesus guy. I, I honor you, I love you. But you gotta know, everything goes through a Jesus filter for me. When I was in high school, I fell in love with Jesus. I'd say I knew him before that time, but I fell in love with him thanks to a group of believers in an organization called Young Life who talked about him in ways that I'd never really heard. They made him super accessible to me. The uniqueness of Christianity is the person of Jesus Christ. And the uniqueness of Jesus Christ is the fact that he is the God-man, fully God and fully man. Now that fact in and of itself is unique in time and eternity, which makes it a concept somewhat difficult to understand because we have no basis for comparison with other God-men in history. Nor do we get any help from our experience. We don't run into God-men as we live our lives. It is a conclusion which grows out of the evidence of the Bible. And today we're gonna review one of my favorite stories of Jesus. And here's why I love this story. Well, it takes place at a party. Jesus is at the party with his mom. He performs his very first miracle. The folks on the inside of the miracle are not the guests, but the servants. And to top it off, it takes place around a table 
So it fits with our theme, tables, conversations that lead to change. So um, I chose to, to, to set this table myself today, and because Jesus was at this party with his mom, I went and got my mom's old dishes. So these are, these are, these are from our family. These are the dishes that we lived with for so many years. Uh, I've got several of them here now. This one has got a big crack in it. My brother did that. I'm sure he did. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not certain, but I'm almost certain. He would definitely be the one to do that. We're gonna read this story in John 2, beginning in verse one. John writes, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. The miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Have you ever been to a particularly memorable wedding? In the last four weeks, I, I, I've, I've done five weddings. I've done hundreds of weddings. My pastor, brother-in-law, friend is here and he's done hundreds of weddings too. And there's a handful of them that were super memorable. And they were memorable not because there was a miracle that took place, they were memorable because the wheels came off. <laughs> I could give you 10 or 20 of them, but I'm gonna give you one today. I was doing one with an Episcopal priest friend of mine at St. Mary's on Poplar, almost downtown. It's kind of a pretty, pretty high church affair and we were about to offer communion to the congregation when one of the groomsmen went down. Pass cold out. The groom jumped over the chancel rail, which was very dramatic, to get him, and several guys carried this pretty big groomsman out while I went over to the bride and to, to pat her hand or whatever. Why do people pat people's hands? <laughs> Isn't that the weirdest thing? But I patted her hand to comfort her. I got no clue. Well, we, we went on with the communion, and by the time it was over, the, the, the fallen groomsman came back into the room and into his spot so he could walk out with the rest of the wedding party at the end. And when the bride and groom got to the back door of the church and opened it to step out almost onto Poplar Avenue, it's about 15 or 20 feet right to Poplar, the sanctuary was filled with flashing lights from the street 
See, somebody had called 911 when the groomsmen hit the ground. So there was a fire truck and there was an ambulance out there to check on him. And they sat him down, they looked him over, they declared him okay. And then the bride and groom did something so brilliant that I will never forget it. They invited the firefighters and the EMTs into the sanctuary so they could all be in the wedding photo. <laughs> How brilliant is that? It's unforgettable. Can you imagine the, this couple's grandchildren asking, now, why is the fireman standing next to you, Grandma? <laughs> well, you know, Uncle Joey went down. Uh, so what's happening at this wedding, at this wedding table in John 2? Well, first of all, Jesus is living out his humanity. Je Jesus was not so otherworldly that he didn't hang with regular people at regular things. Now, weddings were very big things in the culture that Jesus grew up in. The festivities usually lasted five to seven days. This wedding feast that Jesus was attending in John 2 may very well have been the wedding feast of one of Jesus' own family members. A number of scholars are inclined to believe that. I mean, it's, it's near where he grew up. His mom was invited. In fact, we even find out later in the chapter that his brothers were there too. So Jesus, his mom, his brothers, and several of his early disciples were all together for this party. And maybe while the wine ran out, okay? <laughs> Jesus was doing what people do. He was living out his humanity. He was living an approachable life. How, how are we living our lives in such a way that a conversation around a table can possibly lead to change? Do, do you see times with people as an obligation or as a wonderful opportunity? In this story, Jesus is living out his humanity, but as the evening wore on, we see that Jesus is living out his divinity. Because see, there comes a moment when Jesus takes the opportunity to exercise his divine power. Jesus turns water into wine. I love this quote from the late uh, John R.W. Stott. He says, the miracles are the acted parables of Jesus. They exhibit his claims visually. His works dramatize his words. In our uh, creative design meeting on Tuesday, Somebody asked me if we'd be serving wine instead of coffee this week to illustrate the passage. And my response was, well, maybe we ought to just pour up some water and see what happens, you know? <laughs> you never can tell. Wait, you remember how this miracle gets launched? His mom. John 2, 3 says, the wine supply ran out during festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Now, if this was in fact a family wedding, Mary and Jesus and his brothers have a little more invested in the evening, right? Running out of wine at one of these events is an embarrassment, and more so if it's your family who is embarrassed. But again, we don't really know if this is a family event for Jesus and his family. But she leans over to Jesus at the table and says, they have no more wine. And then there is this awkward exchange. In John 2, 4, Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Now, frankly, 
Most translations don't say dear woman. They just say woman. Woman, why do you involve me? That's the New International Version. Woman, what does this have to do with me in the English Standard Version? And, and you might remember that he calls her the same thing when he's being crucified. He's on the cross. He looks at his mother and, and the disciple John and says, woman, here is your son. And he looks at John and says, here is your mother. Now, don't think Jesus is being rude. Frankly, most scholars realize that calling her woman is more like saying ma'am in our vernacular. But the real import of that passage is not the dear woman part, but the explanation to follow. He says, my time has not yet come. You see, Jesus is working off his father's timetable. Although he ultimately does, in fact, remedy this wine problem with a miracle that day, he wanted to make certain, even to his mom, that he was not doing favors for people on their timeline, but was doing what God wanted him to do when God wanted him to do it. A few chapters later, he says this. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I find this very interesting as well. Mary already sees what the servants will soon see. Now, there are only four occasions when Mary's words are recorded in Scripture. This happens to be the final one. John 2, 5. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, we're going to get back to that statement in a minute. But her directive to the servants begin the chain of events that led to Jesus' first recorded miracle. Now, we're told that there, there are six large stone water jars in the room, and that those jars are typically reserved for ceremonial purification under the system of Old Testament law. And they are substantial jars. They are big. They hold 20 or 30 gallons of water. And Jesus pulls the servants aside and tells them to fill those jars with water. Then he looks at them and says, uh, scoop out a big cup of that and take it to our host so he can taste it. Don't you love that? I, I love the tension that must have occurred at that point. These servants have got to be thinking all kind of things. Man, I don't know about all this now. I like my job. I bet you, I bet you they were even planning exactly what to do when the host spit that water out. They'd give it this. Uh, he told me that guy right there. In the sandals, that's the one. What'd they do? They did what they were told. And when the host drank the water that was now magnificent wine, they were the only people in the room apart from Jesus who knew fully what Jesus had done. Not the host who tasted the wine. Not the groom who was complimented for saving the best wine for last. Not the guest who toasted the happy couple, the servants. A handful of servants at a wedding party in Cana were the first to see the manifested glory of Jesus. Folks who didn't have anything much to speak of and folks who didn't have it all together. Frankly, folks like lots of us. Psalm 113, five through eight says this. Who can be compared with the Lord our God who is enthroned on high? He stoops 
to look down on heaven and earth. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes. And because of who we are and who he is, we need to remember that in Jesus' hands, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. I mentioned a few minutes ago that I'd get back to Mary's comment to the servants. You remember her simple directive? But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. You know what? That's a pretty solid idea, right? Maybe that's something we all need to be doing. Do whatever he tells you. Listen, we've got a pretty good idea of how Jesus might like us to live, don't we? Maybe not the little particulars about where to go to lunch or what street to live on, but the important stuff. Jesus told us to love God and to love others, to be people of forgiveness, to be people of peace, to be people of justice. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. In Jesus' hands, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. It's like the Lord's Supper, frankly. The most ordinary of things, a simple piece of bread and a small cup of wine, is used to remember the most extraordinary moment in human history the sacrificial death of the God-man Jesus. And let me say this. If you struggle with believing all this about Jesus, that he is fully God and fully man, that he performed miracles on this earth, I I want you to understand something. Because do you remember the very ending of our passage today said this? It said, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and the disciples believed in him. His disciples believed in him. Seeing is believing. Kinda. Because at some point after this first miracle, Jesus was on a boat with these same disciples who believed in him. And a storm rose and their lives were threatened by the wind and the waves. And Jesus stood in the boat and commanded that wind and those waves to cease, and they did. And then we read this verse in Mark 4. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Listen, lots of us are supremely confident in our faith most of the time. We believe And we believe with certainty, but that's not all of us. And it's not all the time. If you are having a crisis of faith, if you are unsure what you really believe about this Jesus, don't freak out. You're in good company. These disciples who were with with their own eyes saw Jesus turn water into wine and with their own eyes saw storms calmed with his outstretched hands also struggled with believing. Now, Now, we know they came around, right? The resurrection changed them radically. The men who had been doubters and deniers with the exception of one John who died natural death, the others became martyrs. And so my encouragement to all of us today is to keep coming to the table, to keep 
asking the questions, to keep watching Jesus. And if you're smart, listen to his mama too, right? What was it she said? Do whatever he tells you. And remember, my brother broke this plane, okay? <laughs> Make sure you tell him that. Let's pray together. Father God, we do pray and thank you for what this table represents to us. It represents the place where you performed your first miracle. Father, I love that. I love the beauty of it. Father, I love that uh, the servants were the only ones really in on the, on the story. I'm sure, I'm sure Jesus' mom figured it out. Those are the people who knew. Father, I pray that we might keep coming to the table, that we might dine with you, that we might learn more of you, and that we might do what Mary said. Do whatever he says. We pray in strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Openheisen, musical worship director at Hope. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to hit subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship experience, visit us online at HopeChurchMemphis.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Again, thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast.